This morning, we're going to, um, I want to recognize Mark and Kathy Nicewander. Just show your hands real quick. So, Mark and Kathy, right, they, uh, so I would just say Mark specifically, one of the most influential men in my life. Uh, ooh, sorry, man. Um, didn't expect that. Over the last probably 25 years, he came to the University of Georgia to the Wesley Foundation and, uh, and just brought something in the moment that massively impacted who I am as a man, uh, him as a pastor and follower of Jesus. God, that was unexpected. Sorry. So anyway, um, yeah, so he's here today. He also was part of the, just part of that core group that ultimately launched this church planting movement that we're a part of, the Transformation Network. And so to have you here today is truly an honor, and you can come back every Sunday. All right. So with that said, let's dive in this morning. We are in week nine of our small group series called Seek First. And the idea is from this first where Jesus says, Seek first the kingdom of God and all of these things, the needs of your life, the issues of your life, all these things you need, God will provide for them. I will meet you in the moment, right? And so it's just this, this nine-week study of just going after the kingdom of God. And what does it mean? To, what, what, is, what is the kingdom of God? And what does it mean? And what's the tension of the coming of the kingdom that's here but not yet quite fully? And what does that mean for us? And what does it mean to express the fruit of the kingdom and to experience the, the power of the kingdom, right? And this idea, then what does it mean for us to live in this life of being a people who are living as carriers of the kingdom of God, that it hasn't come yet fully, but it is here. What does that mean? And how do we get to express that and experience it in our life? And I hope over the last nine weeks, it's been a powerful time for those of you who've engaged it. I encourage you, if you have not been here and want to, you can go back and listen uh, to the messages. I'll give you my top five later if you want them. You can just skip the other four right now. I'm just kidding. But you can go back and listen to those messages and hopefully God will speak to you through them. We're going to be ending our time this morning. And again, as you end your time, it's kind of this idea of summation and kind of a launch, and that's the hope of this morning, is to take this idea of being a people who seek first as priority, the kingdom and the things of God, and kind of launch from that. And the two thoughts that I want to begin with, and they're just really simplistic, and but they're sobering, and so I'm going to say them. I don't want you to gloss over them and wait to the meat of the message. I want to start very intentionally with these two statements. I want to state them. I'm going to sit on them for a second to let you kind of think about them. I'll probably restate them because I want you to get this starting point in you. And it's this. How we live our lives as Christ followers matters. Super simple. How we live, how you live your life as a Christ follower, it matters. Second phrase, the second statement is how people see us and experience us. In every station of life matters. How people see us, how they experience us in every station of life matters. Our words and our actions, they carry weight and they create consequences. See, one of the great lies of our culture is this nature of individualism. Right. This idea of even like our personal freedoms, that we live in a culture that celebrates the individual over the whole. If you think about like India and Adame, they're from India. Right. And when you think about you talk to Tammy, she talks about Adame, he talks about the nature of the family. The family unit is is priority. You see it in in Jewish times, the tribe like the whole people came before the tribe. The tribe became before the individual family. The, the whole of a family came before just the individual nuclear family. And that family came even before the individual. The scripture is a, is, is a writing of people who put the whole 
ahead of the individual. We think about it even in this, the nature of the lives that, that we live. The idea from the heartbeat of God is that we are, we are a people whose, whose actions, they matter. John Wesley once said, founder of Methodism and one of the most powerful men of God in history, he said, there is no holiness apart from social holiness. What his point was is, listen, it's not just about your individualist life. It's that everything that you do, good and bad, impacts other people that you live around, whether you know it or not. Everything that you do matters Every person that you're around experiencing you and how they're experiencing you, it matters because you don't just live in a bubble. It's not just you and your personal family, but you live in the context of a people who were impacted by their experience of your life. And so we begin at that place of recognizing it's not just you, me, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. It's you, me, Jesus, and everybody else. Scripture is really clear. Paul says you were one part of a very large body. And you're important, but the body ultimately is of utmost importance. And so this idea, again, I want you to see, like you were part of a whole, your life matters. Everything that you do around people, they see you and they experience you in every station of life that you're in, whether it's on Sunday mornings where you put your best foot forward, whether it's leaving to go eat lunch and how you treat the waitress, how you then hop in your car and then treat your spouse or your children, how you then treat the people who are driving beside you on your way home to get back and how you treat your neighbors. And then on Monday when you go to work and how you treat the receptionist when you walk in and how you treat your boss and people who are working with you. All of it matters. And so when we talk about seeking first the kingdom, I'll be completely honest, we're not really talking about your personal relationship with Jesus. That's a part of it. What I'm talking about is how you live your life in obedience to Christ, partnered with him every day, and how you are bringing the kingdom with the life that you live, recognizing everything you do has impact and affects the people who are around you. With that this morning, I want to read the whole chapter of Colossians chapter 3. I'm not going to dive in verse by verse because that would take us three days, right? But I am going to just kind of paint the picture of what's happening. But I do listen. I want you to hear the entirety of the chapter in Colossians chapter three, because what I think that you not what I think what you see in chapter three is Paul coming and speaking about the life that kingdom minded people are to live. So with that, I'm going to go slow enough where you can kind of begin to comprehend. Some of these things are just not hard to get, super practical. But here's the point about it. I'm going to read it. I'm not going to dive all the way through it. So you get to do that this week. Colossians chapter 3, make it something that you give yourself to on top of your other devotions you're doing this week. And just slowly and methodically go through it this week, maybe this month, right, all the way to the end of the year. It's fine, right? You don't have to do a new chapter every day and be a good Christian. No, it's like... Just spend time with Jesus and read through this and let him speak to you through. Here we go. Verse 1, chapter 3, reading from the NIV, says this. Since then you have been raised with Christ. You've been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. 
hey, set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died. And your life is now hidden with Christ. When Christ, who is in your life, appears, then at that moment, second coming, right, you will appear with him in glory. So in this time, verse 5, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. Here's a list, guys. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which of us idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming on the earth. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourself. So he goes from big things to a little bit smaller things, but just as important. Rid yourselves of all such things as these. Anger. Rid yourself of rage, of malice, of slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices, and you put on a new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here, in the midst of the people of God, there is no Jew or Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. The nature of unity, being one people. Therefore, as God's chosen people who were holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, with kindness, with humility, with gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other. Forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds all of them together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your heart, since as members of one body, you were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or whether it's in deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives, do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not embitter your children, or they will become discouraged. Bond slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything, and do it not only when their eye is on you and to curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Anyone who does wrong, we are paid for their wrongs. And there is no favoritism. There is no favoritism. Jesus loves us all equally. So chapter 3 of Colossians, I mean, it has a lot. It's so powerful. It describes this kingdom life of freedom that we found in giving our life to Christ. It creates a powerful image of one 
the kingdom life we live, because we're God's chosen people, holy and loved by God. We see that in verse 12. It creates a powerful image of the sinful actions and lifestyles we are to let go of in verses 5 through 9. It creates a powerful image of our identity now as a new creation, verse 10, and we are, as we are called to bear the fruit of the kingdom in our lives, verses 12 through 14 all through the power of Christ being in us. In these verses, powerfully and succinctly, Paul names and describes this kingdom life of freedom that we each now possess in the kingdom of God. I'll start by unpacking. I'll start by unpacking this beautiful phrase that in verse 17, where Paul gives what I say is an overarching life verse. It's a, it's a verse of, of holistic language that acts as a reminder, it acts as a challenge, and it acts as a directive all in one. First, I'm going to read verse 17. It's holistic, it's a reminder and a challenge and a directive. He says, and whatever you do, it's on the screen, and whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. I love this. Whatever you do, whether in word or deed. In this piece, this phrase, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, the essence of this phrase is simple. The kingdom of Jesus, it should define everything you say in life. The nature of your words. Everything that you say in life, the kingdom should define this. Everything that you do, your deeds, should again be defined by the kingdom of God. Paul goes on in verse 18 to talk about living the kingdom life in our marriages between husband and wife, living the kingdom life in our parenting, living the kingdom life as children who are in relationship with their parents, and living the kingdom life in our work life, which is what the meaning was of verse 22. Don't, don't get lost in slavery language. Bond, servant, and modern-day language do not mean the same thing. He's literally talking about those who are giving themselves to someone that they work for every day of their life. And he's coming in the moment and says, hey, there's a kingdom lifestyle that you are called to be living. He says in the, verse 23, so whatever you do, the same language, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for a human master. So in how you, how you are a husband, work for the Lord. And how you're a wife, work for the Lord. And how you're a child, work for the Lord. How you work for your boss, reality, it's not him or her. It's the Lord that you're working for in all things. That's the kingdom perspective. That's the kingdom life. Paul's idea is simple. Christ followers must view the kingdom impacting everything in our lives equally. That's the point. Everything that goes on in your life, every relationship that you're in, everything that you give yourself to, every moment of every day, they are to be treated in an equal sense. He highlights and names again the Colossians, their primary areas of life, and they really are primary life issues too, aren't they? Your your marriage and your children and then being a child and then in work. I mean, all of those things are primary areas we give ourselves to. But then Paul comes in and highlights then these all these areas of life and says, but the phrase, whatever you do, he comes to this and says, in the same way that he got his king over here, he's then king of 
everything in your life. It's holistic in his mind. The kingdom of God, God's reign and rule breaking in our leader, his leading us, our following him, our obedience, uh, a mindset of Jesus in all things is to be our primary concern, our primary focus and this heart of for Jesus and his kingdom coming should be the origin for every decision and action we take inside and outside of the church. Here's the problem. The problem for us is the unintended sacred secular split that we create between what we call our spiritual life and our secular life. Like a question we ask ourselves, would you treat me, the pastor who you deem is holy, quote unquote, and sacred, differently than your best friends from college. Like your hunting buddies, when you're hanging out with them, would you treat them differently than you treat me just because you deem what I do to be a sacred and holy position? The idea of the sacred secular split first, we act one way at church and around church friends and church stuff and other around work friends, neighborhood friends or simply outside the life of the church. Again, as the pastor on the golf course, I experience this all the time. Like there's some of my favorite moments, right? When I'm sitting there and, you know, I got by myself and I pick up in a twosome or a threesome and we get hop in my cart with somebody and man, they're just like, they're like pounding beers and man, and they're just like, you know, their mouth's running and they're talking about things and saying things and, and doing things. And I know depending on how intentional they are about golf and how much they care about people in their life, somewhere between like hole three and hole nine, I'm going to get the question, Hey, so what do you do for a living? Right. And I'm not going to lie. Like I, every time I'm like, I got I got a decision to make. Either I just kind of generically tell them I'm some sort of teacher or I just very emphatically with declaration and probably drama. Tell them exactly what I do. I always go for that one because it's just more fun to see the response. They're sitting there, whatever it is, and they're like, let's be drinking, by the way. And like, they're just talking, hanging out. And finally, I say, man, so what do you do for a living? It's best when I'm with like all three of them on the, on the tee box. And I go, oh man, I'm in full time ministry. I've been a pastor for the last 23 years working in the church. And all of a sudden they do this. Because they are like freaking out. They turn red face and they start replaying everything they said for the last hour and a half to see what words did they say and what topics did they bring up. Oh, my gosh. Right. And somewhere along the way, one of them will say, I'm so sorry. I just didn't know. Right. I just didn't know. That happens like literally all the time. And I find it funny at this point in time. And I look and say, hey, it's okay. I'm just a human being like you. What I want to look at them and say is there's no sacred secular split, guys. People are people. People are people. Uh, Scott McKnight wrote a book called Tove. It's talking about, this means the good word, this word good. I encourage you to read it. It's this experience of a culture of goodness in a church, as in good, taken from just that, that Tove, the, the um, Hebrew word for, for good. When Jesus says, and he made creation and it was good, like it's the perfect picture. And he, and he talks about it and using this whole story creating a culture of a church that's Tove and that's good. And, and the thing is, he talks about it, he says, basically says, 
we live in this lie of a sacred, secular split that church and church things are just different. There's only one thing. It's sacred. God's creation. There's no church world and secular world. There's just one world. And Jesus is ultimately Lord over all of it. And there's no acting different in our sacred and secular space because it's just all sacred because it belongs to Jesus. But we live in this lie. We live in this lie where sacred things like worship and prayer and church and small groups, we deem secular places like work or our neighborhood or our hobbies, right? In some of these places, we value things in church, but things we don't value, like we don't value humility meekness and compassion at work or in politics and definitely not in our kids' sports, right? Like I look at it and go, man, the heartbeat of God, I don't know about you, but I've had people look at me and say, I, listen, I want, I, I want Jesus as my pastor, but I don't want him as my president. I want Jesus people as my pastor, but I don't want them to be leaders of our nation because they're going to make hard decisions. They got to do things. They just got to be tough. I look at that and go, man, that's dangerous because there is no sacred secular split. You tell me you don't want Jesus leading our nation, leading our companies, leading our businesses. You don't want the traits of Jesus defining the workplace in which you work. Why? What if I acted, what if our staff acted just like the secular here at Vintage? Would you still want me to be pastor? Heck no. Why? Should be attention for you. Because what's happened is you bought into the lie of the sacred secular split. That's not biblical. It's not of God. There's just one world. It's in Jesus. It's King and Lord over all of it. And you are his representatives. You are his ambassadors. And Jesus is Lord over all of your decisions, over all of your actions at all times. The kingdom supersedes everything. Again, simply stated, I'll just say it one more time. There is no sacred, secular split in the mind of God. There is only sacred or things where God wants the sacred to break in through us. Places where he wants his kingdom to be established. Have you ever thought about what Jesus establishing his kingdom, what his heartbeat would be for you? Listen, in your business, have you ever thought about that? What it would look like for Jesus wanting to establish his kingdom in your neighborhood? What it look like for Jesus to establish his kingdom in every single one of, one of your interactions? Because you're good Christians at Chick-fil-A. Right? I mean, but go somewhere else. It's not, go, to, go to McDonald's, man. It's a little harder there. They'll say, oh, my pleasure. Have a Jesus-filled day. Right? No, go someplace. No, there's no getting out. It's like, oh, man, you should go to Chick-fil-A, right? Why? Because you actually honor and, listen, don't you honor and value the kingdom values of Chick-fil-A in which there are other places? Why do you want that? Because you actually see the desire of establishing God's kingdom in places. There's no sacred, secular split. One of the phrases I've highlighted multiple times before that I think speaks to this, when people say it is, it's just business. 
It's just business. After someone has done something a little shady or hurtful to another person, I look at that and go, that's just not a true statement. It's just kingdom. It's just kingdom. That was a phrase birthed out of quote unquote. First Corinthians 13, the message of love, right? And then the fruit of the spirit from Galatians chapter five. There's only one type of decision. There's only one type of decision that you'll make today and tomorrow around things of life. Only one type of decision is consequence. They are all spiritual decisions <clears throat> made for the purpose of loving God and loving neighbor, made for the purpose of great commission to make disciples of all people, made for the purpose of establishing and representing God's kingdom. Every decision that you make is a kingdom decision. Everything I do, every action I undertake has to be in light of being a people of the kingdom. There is no sacred, secular divide. For God, all things are sacred. Again, it's the heart of Colossians 3, verse 23. Again, I've already read this on the screen. Whatever you do, whatever you do, and all things, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for a human master. Steve, what is he talking about? Well, whatever you do. Yeah, but what? But whatever. Look, yeah, whatever. All things. Whatever you do. Everything. Every action. Every motivation. So a few things to consider, kind of practically speaking. I mean, this, there's a lot more things you could um, talk about in your life. But here's a few things. So seeking the kingdom at work. So this idea of work. It's one of those places sometimes that really is deemed the secular life. Have you ever thought about what it means to seek the kingdom of God at work? I read one business executive say this. As a Christian, it's not on the screen, just follow here. As a Christian, if you see that business is a way to serve people, you're going to bring a whole new attitude. You're not there primarily to enhance yourself. Instead, they're there to raise up the people around you, to bring them along, to put some value into their lives. It's just a completely different perspective. In the kingdom, money-making, listen, in the kingdom, money-making is second to loving God and loving neighbor. Second, if making money comes at the cost of people, the question to ask yourself then, is it truly a kingdom-first perspective and decision? I know some decisions aren't as cut and dry in this, but the principles and the value of people first is the key to the kingdom. Jesus died because of his love for people. He came, we might all have life and have it abundantly. He came for people. People first is the key to the kingdom. And for those who don't have necessarily massive areas of influence, the lifestyle that God's calling you to is the same. We are to consciously think through how our actions and relationships at work at home, at school, in our neighborhood, in our families, how those reflect the goodness of our king and how they, how they express the justice of our king. And we need to ask specifically in areas we usually think of as being secular, are we working in a way, listen, are we working in a way that shows our commitment to live for Jesus in all things? Are we engaging in projects at work and in life in a way that God will delight in? The conversations about the people I'm in working with, do my conversations in word Honor God in them. The way that I talk about my boss, do the, my words 
honor God in them. The way that I talk about my spouse, does it honor God in the way that I'm working? The way that I talk about and interact with my children, does it honor God and his kingdom? Like you see how this plays out. Seek first the kingdom in whatever you do. You're like, oh my God, it's hard. No, it's life-giving in everything. In everything, seeking the kingdom for those who are in need and spiritual need. Like think about the life of Jesus. He came for those who were in need. I love the testimony in the, in the first several hundred years of the church where literally like emperors would come and they'd write letters to other people and they would get angry because there are these pagans who were Christians who were literally caring for all of their poor and needy and people were giving their lives to Jesus. The testimony of the, listen, the testimony of church history is always the same. Jesus came to save the lost spiritually and to help those who were in physical and spiritual needs, feeding the poor and hungry, caring for the orphan and the widow, coming for those who were being trafficked and fighting for them. He wants to fight for justice for everything that's broken in society. Seeking the kingdom for those who are in need. So one key to maturity as we come is, is specifically think about the spiritual gifts, right? The spiritual gifts. So I'm talking about like this, the gift of administration, evangelism and pastoring and, and the gift of tongues, interpretation, the gift of prophecy, the gift of healing, discerning of spirits, right? All of these pieces holistically that are obviously still alive and well because we're in need of them today, right? One key to maturity in the gifts of God's spirit is this. I, I am as it's this. Am I as quick to exercise them daily in my life as I am on Sunday at church? Am I as quick to exercise the gifts of God's spirit every day of my life as I am at church on Sunday morning? The church is not a building. It's not a it's not just a gathering. It's the people of God. And the people of God are only at church a few hours a week. We could say that the primary focus of the gifts of God's spirit to express the power of the kingdom is not how they're used on Sunday, but how they're being used every other moment of our lives. Jesus did miracles in temples, but most of them were done when he was walking down the street. Jesus gave prophetic words in temple gatherings, but most of them were giving people's homes and on the streets with everybody around him, just doing life the rest of the week. Remember, there is no sacred, secular split in the mind of God. The needs that we see aren't just things we, listen, they aren't just things we do as outreach in our church. It's not just throwing money at something that's important. It's literally every day recognizing I have the spirit of God in me. His gifts and his fruit are in me. I want to be a people, a person of the kingdom. So everywhere I go, I'm going to be one who exercises those gifts. I, you, we. Listen, have you ever thought about this? And if you haven't, go read Colossians 3 of the next month and then process this and let it blow your mind. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead now resides in you in the person of the Holy Spirit and he's trying to get out every day and be him. Just let him. 
process it. Man, like, does that scare you? Or does it get you fired up? Is it a healthy mixture of both? Good. Sobering. I'll never forget, I was reading a book one time. I'm not going to say the name of it because I don't want you to read it. But this thing he said, and it was really good. He was talking about the nature of the gifts, and he was talking about the nature of gifts every day. And he went to a church to speak, and this pastor came up to him and said, Hey, this is Brother Andrew. Brother Andrew is, I don't know if he spoke like this. I'm just making it up, but he's like my favorite, my favorite voice. He just says, This is Brother Andrew. He's really gifted in the gift of prophecy. And, uh, man, like he's somebody you can trust. You might even take him on the road with you. And he go, looked at Andrew. He goes, Hey, man, so how are you doing at work? Oh, what do you mean, man? Like, well, you, are you killing it at work? No, I'm really struggling. He goes, so you're not exercising the prophetic gift in your job? Well, what do you mean? Why don't you figure it out? Come back to me, and then we'll talk. Because the reality for this guy is he recognized all the gifts of the Spirit are there, not just, like they're there to be used by God in everything that we're doing, even for the purpose of using it to move forward. And so he came back a month later, and he said, man, I started listening. He said, so I started sitting down with Jesus before every day and listening to his voice and following his lead at work. And it's amazing. God has really moved in that as I've taken steps of obedience. Man, I'm really moving forward and finding favor at work. He's like, fantastic. Now you can go on the road with me because he recognized it wasn't just about inside the four walls. It wasn't just about praying on a ministry team on Sunday morning. It was every single day exercising the gifts for the purpose of the kingdom and moving forward. So seek first the kingdom as it relates to how you express the gifts in the places of need and in your life. And the third thing, this is the super simple, seek the kingdom in all things, right? That's just this phrase, we talked about it two times, right? Whatever you do in all things, how often do you think about establishing God's kingdom in every conversation and situation of life that you're in? As individuals who interact with our world, we need to consider how God's reign and rule would be seen and can be seen in all our encounters and relationships. Why? Because everything that we do matters. All of our interactions with people have consequences for good or for bad. And so in this, as a church, consider the community around us. We seek its welfare. As a way of fleshing out the kingdom, the gospel, the gospel of Jesus is about God's reign breaking into our world. And that must have implications for our life, how we live again, for we are his ambassadors and his representatives. We are the ones people are looking at to see who Jesus is and what Jesus sounds like. Seek first the kingdom. Colossians chapter 3, verses 17 through 23, they just kind of sum up all the primary parts. I'm just going to read these to you on the screen. Go ahead and put them on for me. It says, whatever you do, whatever you do, whether in word, right, spoken, or deed in action, do it all as the Lord's representative in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Verse 23, whatever you do, I want you to work at it with everything inside of you, all of your heart, because you're working for Jesus, not for a human master. The takeaway is this, and we're going to end until we can go ahead and come. Are you seeking first the kingdom? Are you seeking first the kingdom? Is establishing the kingdom, the leading thought of how you live, how you work, and how you treat people? Is your life marked by the gifts of God's Spirit, just like it was Jesus's life. The invitation this morning is, is simple. Start seeking 
first the kingdom. And all things, recognizing all things are sacred to Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the sending of your kingdom. We thank you that your kingdom has come and we recognize it has not yet come fully. We live in anticipation and Paul talked about it here. But there's a moment that's going to come when you break in from glory and you take us home with you. And then we have an inheritance in you that's inexhaustible. And in that moment, Lord, we will be living in utter and complete freedom from our flesh and from the things of the world and the things that weigh us down. We will live, God, then in perpetual peace, perpetual love, perpetual satisfaction, perpetual joy and happiness, God. But until that moment, Lord, we live in a world, God, that still has brokenness. And you've said, hey, in the places where my kingdom's not established, I'm empowering you to go and to bring it. And we confess, Lord, that there are so many things in our lives that distract us from this, that keep our eyes off of you. I think about Peter walking on the water. Everything's great until the waves come, Jesus. And he gets enamored by the waves, can't take his eyes off of them, Jesus. They overwhelm him and he begins to sink. But then there's the great news. Say, but I'll catch you. That's grace. lift us up and say, just set your eyes on me. Set your eyes on the kingdom. So Jesus, today we confess our weakness. We confess our shortcomings. We confess all of our inabilities, all of our, just all these broken places, God, that we are, that we create excuses for us becoming who you want us to be. We just confess all of those, Lord. We are failures apart from Jesus. But we thank you, God, that we are more than conquerors now through Christ. I just ask this morning, God, would you awaken that truth into people? Would you take it from their head to their heart? So all of a sudden they go, oh my gosh, I didn't really know what it meant to be a Christ follower. I don't, that message was fine, but Jesus just did a work in me. Thank you, Jesus. Would you produce an awakening right now? The truth of your kingdom. The people who have responsibility, business owners, God. I pray right now, Jesus, that they would be awakened to the reality that because they are leading on a high level, there's greater responsibility. They're not more important. There's just greater responsibility. Pray, Father, you'd awaken them. Those who have people underneath them carries a greater weight of responsibility, Jesus. Would you change them? Would you tear down the sacred secular wall in Jesus' name? I pray each person here would be awakened to the fact that God, they have influence because they go places every day where your kingdom needs to be established and they get to be the ones to do that. Their life matters. Every action carries weight and consequences, Lord, and they can produce life wherever they go. Come and have your way in each of us, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.
invite you this morning. Our ministry teams are going to go ahead and come forward to be on both sides. Our ministry teams are here very simply. They just want to be good friends and shepherds. They want to pray for you. They want to pray this is the gifts of God's Spirit to flow, whether it's in healing, the prophetic, the sermon, whatever it may be. They just want to begin to pray for you this morning for breakthrough and for healing and salvation, the working of miracles. If there's anything going on in your life, they want to pray for and We just want to trust that God's kingdom will be established in those moments. We have communion available every single Sunday. We have our nice little tasty packets. If you want to take them and go back to your seat, or you can take communion right here. This is always done for the, in the place of remembering the work of Jesus in your life and his powerful love for you. There's always a grace, always a movement of Jesus as we remember his broken body and his poured out blood. And as we take that as a reminder of who we are in Christ. You can come to the altar and just pray, or you can just sit there and worship. Here's what I'm asking you not to do. Do not get on your phone. You don't need to text anybody. Give this time to Jesus and let him speak to you. Let him move in you. Be honest with him about this call to bring the kingdom. And just say, Jesus, have your way in me. So you respond. I'll come back and close this out in a minute.